The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for your word given to us for our teaching, for our correction, for our for, to turn us, to put us on the right path for building up. We speak and we want to hear. And so I pray, Lord, help us to hear. Give us ears that hear in an understanding way. Give us hearts that rest in what you say and give us desire to follow. We're talking about and thinking about that a fair bit this morning, desire to follow, to press on after you. And I pray, Lord, that we can talk about it. We can, we can use words that we understand, but you must give such resolve. So, Spirit of God, we ask you to do more than just let us speak in English. Will you speak to our hearts in, in words that strike home and gain traction and move us? Or to put it another way, Will you plant in us good seed and make us good soil so that a crop will come forth? We want to be your people who follow you, and so help us, Lord. Make this psalm clear. Make, make my words clear. Build up your people here. We want to be a people that honor you. We recognize that this is the way that is good and right and blessing. Help us to walk in it. Make clear the truth here. Control this time, your spirit of God, and lift up the sun. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, when we looked at Psalm 97, we gave attention to the important concept of righteousness, characteristic of God that is vital, that is very good, but, we acknowledge then, is perhaps a bit off-putting at first. It can seem cold and hard, unlike some of his other characteristics, such as mercy and grace. Those are soft and attractive to us, but righteousness is good. It's so good that God reigns from a throne, as we saw there, a throne that is based on righteousness and justice, because it means that he's always pressing into his creation righteousness and justice which is to say, pressing out of his creation unrighteousness and injustice and evil and wickedness and harm. That's a good thing. Righteousness and justice are good. It's clearly what God is. As well as being a God of mercy and grace. Steadfast love. We saw righteousness and justice in Psalm 97, and if we looked at 98... In 99, we would have seen it there too, and we also would have seen there what we saw last week in Psalm 100, the steadfast love of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord. It's the very last verse of Psalm 100. That's God too. Steadfast love that endures forever, faithfulness to all generations, along with righteousness and justice. Those two strands... Righteousness and justice, steadfast love and mercy, they are, they are through all of these psalms that we've been looking at. They're, they're always there, and they, they meet together here in the first verse of our psalm today, which is a very different psalm 
than the types of psalms we've been looking at. This psalm's written by David, one of only two in this fourth book of the psalm collection. Probably placed here, again, remember the psalms are not placed chronologically, nor are they placed haphazardly. This is probably placed here because of how it draws together these two themes that we've seen. It captures them both, seen in the character of God, and then it teaches us, or it models for us, how to pray and apply these things to, to our own lives personally. Unlike the other psalms we've been looking at, which have a strong component of corporate worship, singing and praise, remember you've seen that again and again and again, praising God, calling for people to praise him, corporate worship settings, that's not here, none of it. This is just a man praying with resolve. Vocalizing his own resolve, expressing what he wants to be. Praying and showing us how to pray towards personal application. So there's a good bit here for us. It's, and it's rather straightforward. It's not particularly intellectually complicated but it may be challenging to us. So we're going to look at it. I'm going to make two observations from this passage. Here's the first. Righteousness is to be pursued with resolve and with all our rightful power. Righteousness is to be pursued with resolve and with all our rightful power. And I mentioned rightful power to immediately address something and point out a piece that I think will be helpful for us to understand, maybe, maybe help us listen and apply this passage. The David that is praying here is not just David, a believer. He's David, the soon-to-be-enthroned king of Israel. All throughout, the, the grammar in the original gets translated into English future tenses. I will be this, I will do that. He's looking ahead at what will be and what he will be, what will be done, what he will do, or maybe what he won't be and won't do, when finally the Lord comes to him. That's, right, that's the cry there in the middle of verse 2. When will you come to me? The Lord is finally one day going to come to him and fulfill the promise that he made to him long ago through the prophet Samuel. He's going to make him king, set him on the throne over the people. It's going to happen one day, and David will reign. And so we need to read all of this in light of that. Keeping in mind rightful power as king over the people of God, God's kingdom. In the Old Testament here, David had all kinds of rightful power that ordinary Christians don't. Keep this in mind, especially with regards to the public sphere in secular countries. David, governing Israel, is not parallel to a Christian governing the United States. Because the United States and Israel are not parallel. God's covenant people in the Old Testament are not parallel to a a country today. God's covenant people in the Old Testament, rather, are parallel to God's covenant people in the New Testament, the covenant people of God across the Testaments. So this is not about how Christians force Christian laws onto America. 
Okay, and so we don't need to be afraid of the word destroy that we read twice. And maybe as you're listening to that, you're thinking, destroy? Cut off? Another word for destroy. We're going to destroy people? No. We, we can come at this with some ease, keeping in mind we've got a particular context here of a, of a king over God's kingdom, over the covenant people of God. Now, is there going to be application for us? Of, yeah, for sure, of course, absolutely. Is there going to be application for us personally and even into the public sphere? Yes. But for us Christians now living in a secular country, rightful power is going to look a lot different than thus saith the Lord, destroy. Very different. Rightful power is going to be governed by the laws of this land and going to be the power of persuasion and the power of reasoning. So we've got to keep those things in mind as we, as we come to this. There's a very different context here. We're going to draw application. It will apply to us, but we're in a different place. We want to exercise rightful power today with the same resolve, with the same concern, with the same goal, the same agenda that this David had. A righteous one. He's about righteousness, justice. That's the point. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit talking about the public sphere here because first, David begins, David wants to start very personal in the heart. Singing. I will sing of the steadfast love and justice. That first word, steadfast love, very important word. This is not a love song. This is a song about faithful, strong, sturdy, covenant, faithful love. God in faithfulness to his people and then people within that covenant faithful to one another. Steadfast love and justice. Maybe your translation might have judgment. This is getting at is a is the right thing. So I'm going to use righteousness throughout because justice, I think, too quickly trips in our mind about something in a courtroom. Or judgment trips like think of a judge. What he's talking about here is the right thing decided, the right thing carried out, the right thing executed. Righteousness. These two terms, steadfast love. Justice, righteousness, we've seen them all throughout the Psalms we're mentioning. They're in the character of God, calling us to praise those traits often. But here, David does not call us to praise God. And he doesn't even, exact, not exactly, he's not even exactly praising God himself for being the God of steadfast love and justice. Technically, he's singing of the beauty of steadfast love and justice. Which, of course, he's seen in God. In the next phrase, the second half of the first verse, obviously he's singing to God. But there's a difference here. If you read the flow, we're, this is placed right after Psalm 100 so that we readers would, would flow right from the end of Psalm 100 into, into 101. The end of, the, of Psalm 101, we get, this is the Lord. Oh, Lord, you are good. You are a God of steadfast love that endures forever. Verse 1 now, steadfast love itself is good, O Lord. And as I ponder the way that I should go, verse 2, I ponder the way that is blameless, 
I think about that, I consider it, and I see the goodness, the beauty of steadfast love and justice, and I want to be like that. I am going to be like that. That's, that's the flow here. He sees it in God. He sees that it's good. And he says, that's, that's right, that's good. I'm, I'm going to be like that. There's resolve here. That's what he's praying about and singing about. Wants to be. God's like that. David wants to. God, he resolves to walk like this, to live like this with integrity of heart within his house. Not meaning just his building, meaning his royal house. We might say his, his, his entourage, his cabinet, those that are surrounding him, his, his co-workers. He wants to walk with integrity of heart, consistent with God and his values, God and his nature. A whole heart. Not just half a heart. A true heart, not a perverse heart, as he mentions down in verse 4. David, like we, we, God's people, we have a a professed set of values. We have a, a professed viewpoint, belief system, and it's out there. We acknowledge it. Is it in here? Do you walk it? He wants to live so that when I'm out there, I'm, I'm going to be out there speaking. I'm going to walk into the temple at some festival. I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to extol the Lord and use big words. And as the television station cameras are rolling, everybody's going to see me be the man of God, the king. And when I walk back into the palace and I talk to the kitchen staff or chit-chat with my cabinet members and unbeknownst to me, somebody's iPhone camera's rolling, what they're going to hear then off my tongue is the same thing. Because that's who I am. Integrity. Out there and in here. That's me. I want to walk. This is my commitment. I want to walk in the way that is blameless. That's what he's pondering. That's what he's resolved to do. Verse 2, I want to walk in the way that is blameless. Outside and inside. Blameless. We've talked about this before. It's important to understand this. Blameless does not mean sinless. There is no such thing as a sinless life. David, we, we sin. Blameless, in the context of the Bible, Blameless means what we're seeing here in David, a resolve to walk in obedience, a faithful pursuit to keep God's law in the heart as well as outward with the hands, a desire to walk and a faithful dependence on God to help me in that walk and to help me when I fail in that walk. an earnest desire to pursue, to walk righteously, and asking and depending on God to help me to walk righteously, and when I fail, a faithful dependence on God's provided sacrifice to atone for my sin. In the Old Testament, that would have been the whole sacrificial system with the temple and the animals and all of that. 
The person who says, I want to pursue God, I want to walk, I want to be blameless, God help me, and when I fail, says, here God, please accept this sacrifice in place of my sin. I am a sinner and I need this forgiveness that you provide in this sacrifice here. That's blameless in the Old Testament. What's the sacrifice pointing to for us? Not an animal, the lamb. For us to walk with integrity, to to live outward and inward on the path that is blameless does not mean to live sinlessly. It means to live with resolve to obey, resolve to walk in righteousness. And God help me, and when I fail, which I will because I'm a sinner, Lord, will you please give me that sacrifice, that sacrifice of Jesus covering my account to forgive me. Blameless. David is about that. Personal righteousness, integrity in his walk, within his own heart. So important because this, this is where it all starts. This is who you actually are. It's what God means for you to be. What God means for you to pursue with resolve, not just in the public sphere, but also in the private sphere, a heart that is concerned to walk in righteousness, trusts God for help, and trusts God for forgiveness. We must start there. From, t- from time to time, I... We, we, we kind of tend to, to, I think, drift one way or the other into the, into the only private or into the only public. And from time to time, I hear someone say, well, as long as I don't touch, I can look. I heard that one time in reference to women. Really? That's all God's concerned about. As long as you don't touch, you can look. No. Here, integrity in the heart to walk in the path that is blameless. That's David's concern. That is meant, obviously, to be our concern. Righteousness within. And to get there, David resolves to be careful with what he feeds to that heart. Or, in particular, who he lets come close to feed him. The next aspect of this, of this pursuit, if, if you think here in the heart, the inner circle, take one step out. He first wants it in his own heart, and, and now he asks, we, we could look at this and say, okay, so who are you going to put around you? And understand, David in his day does not have a whole lot of media. So outside input comes to David through relationships with people. He doesn't have a TV, doesn't have an internet connection, doesn't have an Instagram feed, doesn't have a newspaper, doesn't have a radio, doesn't have anything that's going to tell him what's true, how to interpret life, what to value and what to chase. That's going to come from people. And so David careful with his heart, is going to be careful with who am I going to gather around me to talk to me? He's not going to be be welcoming in 
worthless things. Verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, literally anything that's wicked. I'm not going to set it before my eyes as in put it there and consider it. I'm going to be careful with that. I hate, I understand, that's, that's a word about total separation. I hate the work of those who fall away, those who fall away from God. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. The perverse heart in a person far from me. So who is he going to gather around? Verse 6, those who will minister to me as the one who walks in blamelessness. What do you know? I want to walk in blamelessness. Who am I going to gather around me? Those who walk blamelessly. I'm going to give those ones access to my ear. I'm going to let those ones come near. In verse 7, those who deceive won't dwell in my house. They won't be allowed to stay here. He wants good character, so he's going to surround himself with good character. Now, it's important to understand here that in, in the first hour, beginning today and going on into coming weeks, we're talking about and we're concerned about how do we be people who, who live around other people as witnesses. That's, that's in the Bible too, of course, right? To love your neighbor, to care for him or her, to, to be a witness to him or her, and that involves some connection, some familiarity with some, some aroundness. So there's nothing here that is about total isolation, total withdrawal from the world. No. In fact, we should be engaging with and befriending and, and loving people around us, neighbors and the world around us. What's going on here is David, remember his context, David is talking about who am I going to bring into my house? We might say in our modern world, who am I going to bring into the White House? Who am I going to give a seat at the table and declare you an advisor and ask you what's true and what I should do and what I should value? Who has my ear? Who am I going to give my heart to? Whose counsel will I listen to? Who gets my attention? Who's my advisor that I let influence me? Whose opinions do I take to heart? Who's my partner in the yoke, my closest friend? I want to walk in a way that is with integrity, blameless. And so the inner circle around me is going to be like-minded people. We want to walk with integrity in a way that is blameless. Us too. Run through your, run through your list of influencers. And for David, again, it's, it's heavily about people. That will be for us, too, but we have much more media input. Run through your list of influencers. Blameless, biblically speaking, blameless or not? I'm not talking about your friends. I, I hope, I hope that we all have friends who are not believers and who do not share the same value system we have. I'm asking, who do you listen to? Who do you call up and talk with? Who do you invite to fill your mind? What do you invite to fill your mind? Blameless? Is it? Are they? 
it's a critical piece of, of walking in righteousness. It is, it is extremely hard to walk in righteousness, to walk a blameless path of integrity surrounded by people who do not share that desire. Who's around you? Who's got your ear? To whom do you give your heart? Whose counsel do you listen to? David is resolved in his own heart to walk the path that is blameless, to walk in righteousness. And he then says, and step one, i got to put around me people who share that same resolve, who want righteousness as much as I do. And then together we can work that out into the public sphere. His own heart wants to walk in integrity, he wants to surround himself with them. And then lastly, he envisions himself using his rightful power to pursue righteousness in the realm. See, sometimes we fall down on the, as long as I don't touch, I, I can you know, look. We, we fall away from the heart. But then other times we kind of fall only towards the heart and say, I want to be holy myself, but hey, you know, business is business. Politics is nasty. So we kind of check it at the door because you got to do what you got to do, right? No, you don't. In the public sphere also, out there, he wants to use his rightful power to pursue righteousness in the realm. This shows up especially clearly in verses 5 and 8. We see that word destroy. This is different. This is way different than I'm, I'm not going to let that cling to me. This is aggressive. I'm going to go out and chase it down and put it to death. Again, remember the Old Testament context. That sounds pretty harsh until we remember. Actually, that's what God set him up to do. In the Old Testament covenant context, he had to be like that. That was required of the king. king was supposed to be. He's the, the final, the top officer of the land. He's the top judge of the land. And David's saying, I'm resolved to be the kind of king that you call me to be, to be a righteous king, ruler, leader. That's my job, to rule from a throne of righteousness and justice, not forgetting mercy, but not compromising righteousness, because that's what you are. You have a throne of righteousness and justice, and you put me on it, and i got to be like that too. That's David's thinking. That's different Different now in, in application because of the different kinds of power that we have now. But it's not different in its goal. To see righteousness and justice, or, or on the contrary, to see the, the putting down of, the putting out of unrighteousness and injustice, that's still for us. In what ever realm you have rightful power. It's easy to think that the most immediate direct parallel of the Old Testament covenant people is the church today. It's most, most clearly and cleanly easy to think about that. Think about our families. Places where we have power to say no and to push out unrighteousness and injustice. But if you keep thinking about this, 
Lots and lots of applications come to mind. You're a team leader at work. You're an owner of a business. You're the mayor of your local town. Whatever you are. You've got opportunity to, to use power rightfully given to you to do either what is right and just or what is easy, popular, and profitable. All day long, you've got that opportunity to do what is right and just or to do what is easy and popular and profitable. And David says, I am concerned to chase down and eliminate all unrighteousness, all wickedness, all evil. Even, we see in verse 5, even these root evils. David's thorough. He's going to go after slander and haughtiness, pride. Why are those two mentioned? I think those are mentioned because they're root evils. You might think, I don't, as long as nobody kills anybody, I'm okay. But no, in fact, what's beneath murder? Slander and pride. I'm going to go after roots. David is concerned to be a just and right ruler in all of the land across the board, morning by morning, getting up with resolve daily after it. Pursue righteousness with resolve. In here, circle around you and out there. And I've used the word resolve not just to capture the the, the nature of, of David's attitude here, but to point out something. Sometimes that's going to be hard and require effort, right? Which is not to say that we don't trust in and need God's grace to enable and accomplish all of our good resolutions. It's to say that God's grace, when present, doesn't always make everything easy and quick. Sometimes it does. We all know, we've all faced a situation where we're looking at something really hard, and you know, I've got to say something or do something that's really difficult. I don't know how it's going to go over. And you pray, and you pick up the phone, you make the call, you walk into the room, and you talk to the person, and Wow. That went really well. God opened the door and smoothed it out, and it was awesome. That happens sometimes, but not always. Grace sometimes makes things easy and quick, but grace, when present, also enables a Christian to make hard decisions and to persevere through them with effort. Resolving to press on into what is right, even if it isn't easy. What's, what's the... Perhaps the most well-known example of this in, in Christian circles, William Wilberforce's work on the, on the slave industry. Now, I pick that because it has an ending to it. There might be somebody like that right now at work in the abortion industry. 
It just hasn't ended yet. But William Wilberforce was a late 19th century member of parliament in England. Many of you know the story. He became a Christian in 1785, late 18th century, sorry. He became a Christian in 1785, and in 1787, friends, some people around him, influenced him to take up amongst eventually some some local social issues the worldwide slave trade, 1787. And he worked in Parliament, worked in Parliament, worked through the laws of the land, legally using the rightful power entrusted him, using the power of persuasion, using the power of argument and reason, reasoned and argued and reasoned and argued and, and voted and lost and so on from 1787 until 1807 when Parliament in England passed a law that made slave trade illegal in the British Empire. Not slavery, slave trade. Actual abolition, the ending of slavery, didn't come till 1833. Do the math. 33 and 87 is 46 years that the grace of God enabled him to persevere on in the pursuit with resolve of righteousness and justice in the land, in the public sphere. Now, I picked that one. That, that's old. It's well-known is why I pick it. And we see the conclusion, and we have some idea of 46 years. I probably would have given up. took him his whole life. And he had no guarantee of success. But it was right. This, this is the kind of king that David wants to be, and it's, it's the kind of people that God wants his people to be. Those who with resolve pursue righteousness in here and out there. Both. how he uses his people to not just work in, in us, but to use us to be agents of renewal in all of the world, in all of the creation, in here and out there. That's what he calls us to. To pursue it with all of our rightful power, and that can be hard. So the second point talks a little bit about how we might be helped in this pursuit. Here's the second observation. We have to be quick with, because we have communion today too. Hmm. Pursuit of righteousness is driven by love for God and love for people, especially the people of God. Pursuit of righteousness is driven by love for God and love for people, especially the people of God. If you see the words, if you're looking through this, and you see the words I and me and my repeated in every phrase, and then recognize this is not actually a prayer where he's asking very much, he's just declaring. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. It'd, it'd be easy to, to read that and see it as really kind of being pretty self-focused. 
I'm going to ponder the way that's blameless. I'm going to see what that way is, and I'm going to walk in it with resolve wholeheartedly because it's the right thing to do and because it will benefit me. It's a path of blessing. You can read this and say, David's actually rather self-focused in this psalm. But there's a little more here that we need to think about. And the first hint that we should be thinking or looking for something else is right in verse 1 itself. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. The two themes here coming together. And you read that, you would think, I'm going to get both steadfast love and justice in this psalm. But then the psalm really heavily majors on justice and righteousness, front and center over and over and over again. Did he forget about the love? Is there any love here? Yes. We should be looking for, we should be thinking, assuming, especially since the very first word of the psalm itself is hesed. Steadfast love. Covenant faithful love. First word. My ears tuned to that. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. And when I think like that, and then read David, righteous within and righteous without, on the outside, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I'm going to take care of that. Verse 5. In fact, any unrighteousness, any wickedness, I'm going to take that diligently day by day. I'm going to, I'm going to grab it, hunt down, find it, and take care of it. I'm going to destroy all wickedness that is in the city of the Lord. There's the steadfast, faithful love. If you get a police officer or a judge, he's a police officer. How, how does a police officer, an on-duty police officer, how does he love the neighborhood or she love the neighborhood they're patrolling? By smiling and chatting it up with all the people. Who cares about the crime? By smiling and chatting up and acting really nice, who cares about the crime? No. The police officer loves his, her neighbor by saying, I'm going to ensure as best I can with all my rightful power that this place where you live is safe. That this place where you live is good. I'm going to actually put my life out there on the line to love you in that way. Now, we don't use that language. It's kind of odd. But that's what's going on when an officer of the law enforces rightly the law. Loving the community, serving the community. Here's the king saying, I'm going to get up in the morning Walk out into the city of God and say, what's wrong? Let me fix it. So that the city of God is clean and pure and safe and good. That's love. That's what God anointed David to do, to love the flock of God by shepherding it in righteousness and justice. It's what David knew he was called to do, to shepherd this flock like he had literally shepherded the literal flock of his literal father. 
to protect them all from the lion and the bear, to gather them in and feed them so that they would be safe and strong and at peace. That's what he's about, clearly driven by a love for the sheep, which obviously connects to a love for God himself, who is the owner of the sheep, the one who put him in this role. And verses 1 and 2 and the very last line remind us that though there's a lot of I and me and mine, it seems like David's about himself, front and back, he's really conscious of the Lord. He's praying, he's singing to the Lord, and he's concerned to take care of that which belongs to the Lord. To clean the people of God, to clean the city of God. That's, this is an important and helpful observation for us to make here. So let me just kind of cut to the chase. This is important because it alerts us to the, the fact that if I'm going to pursue righteousness and recognize that that's hard, I have to actually pursue that be, through righteousness is for love. I need to pursue righteousness through love. I want to love this people concerned about loving my neighbor, concerned about loving the Lord, but then I have to ask, what's love? Righteousness is. Justice is. That's important for us to see because that's the path to love. It's important for us to be aware of because commonly our own hearts and everybody around us will say, you don't love me when we try to push righteousness. You would love me if you just let me go and do my thing. No, I wouldn't, actually. No, I wouldn't. Righteousness is for love, and love is what will fuel in us a desire to persevere on through the hard, through the hard, through the hard in pursuit of righteousness. If I love this one, these ones, that one, if I love them, I will say, Lord, let me be used for righteousness' sake in these ones, as is right for me in my position with my rightful power. The path to righteousness is first love. And what fuels love? Love. What fuels love? I love because he first loved me. Where do you see the love of God in this? Where do you see the love of God in this? Where do you see the love of God in this? What... A great love this God has to raise up a shepherd like this over his people. Not like Saul. Like this one. God in love is going to take a king and going to put him over his people. One who will be in hot pursuit of, of integrity in heart so that he won't take advantage of people. And in pursuit of justice out there so people can live at peace and rightly. God raised up David as, as a gift of love to his people, to raise up a shepherd over them who would be righteous and just, who would lead them into a place of rest. God raised up David in love for his people. Except what, of course? That didn't go real well. Because David was just David. And David's right-hand man, Joab, was a murderer. So was David, right? David was just David. And so we see here, oh, the gift of God, that God in love would raise up a shepherd like this over his people. Like this, not this one, because this one failed. 
a true Davidite. That God in love would raise up over us a king who actually will be completely resolved to walk the path of blamelessness himself and to give himself for righteousness in the people, righteousness within here in me, be a help to me in here, and righteousness in the place where I live, in the place where I walk. God is determined to raise up a true Davidite, to give me Jesus as king, to give you Jesus, to give us Jesus as king, better than this one, like this one, but better. To see, Christians, see that God has loved you enough to morning by morning raise up one over you who will chase out of the city of God all wickedness. He's loved you like that. He's loved you. That's what builds love in us. And love pushes us to walk into righteousness. The Lord has come to us in Christ, the true Davidic King. Resolve to walk with him in righteousness. This might be an odd psalm. I love it. In the end, I love it. Because I see Jesus in it. In, in David's innocent, right-hearted, sweet, failed attempt to be what we need. But you can read this again with Jesus and say, yes, 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 yes. Bless the name of the Lord. He has come to us in Christ. People of God, walk with him and pursue righteousness and integrity in heart and out there. Let me pray. Lord, will you grow in us an appreciation for your work in us? And from that, then a desire to walk in a like way, loving others as we pursue righteousness all around us. Lord, I sense that I skipped over a bunch of stuff here and didn't connect all the dots. Connect them in people's minds, please. Do work and build your church. And remind us now as we take this communion cup in hand and this bread in hand, remind us as, as we look at this that it is actually possible to walk in blamelessness because of what we're going to hold here, because of the cup. You sent a sacrifice that chases out from us guilt and sin and makes us righteous in standing and then gives us power to walk increasingly in righteousness. That's, that's your doing. That's the gospel. That's, that's a kindness that you've given. Praise your name. Help us to see that now in, in the communion cup and bread. Thank you, Lord. We trust ourselves to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.